Hello and welcome back to the IDC Tech Talk podcast. I am your host, Miles Dawson, and today it's finally a topic that I'm also an expert on. Yes, today we're dealing with the gaming industry. And with me today is Liam Hall. Hi, Liam. Hi, Miles. Thanks for having me today. No problem. Welcome. And um, I wonder if you could give our listeners a quick overview of your coverage at IDC and what you do. Yes, so I work on the quarterly PCD tracker, but my area of expertise lies in PC gaming, where I lead the research for Western Europe. Fantastic. So today um, we've got a great big long list of things that I'd love to cover. So let's dive in with a bit of a broad view to begin with and ask you about the gaming landscape. How does it look at the moment in terms of health and growth and everything? Well, in quite a, a troubling consumer market, gaming is definitely where we're seeing the sweet spot to be. And that goes across the entire landscape from PC, mobile, AR, VR and even console. It's just definitely a booming area. And it's currently the number one entertainment industry In fact, some research by the BBC recently has published that over half of the UK entertainment industry is made up of video gaming. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? Because for a long time, it was TV, it was movies, it was that. And it's particularly over the last sort of, you know, in this generation of consoles in particular, it's just accelerated beyond anything that we could have uh, imagined, really. Yeah, for sure. And I think one thing we need to think about there is just how much of an impact esports has had on this. Mm-hmm. Having increased coverage from you know, the news, the, the reports, increased festivals, fairs, it's just giving a whole new generation of gamers much more access to games that are out there. Definitely, definitely. So you focus, I believe, on PC gaming. So the last couple of years, obviously, the console gaming market has been exploding. But is the growth and the, 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 the sort of size of the market... Is it as optimistic for PC gaming as it is for the rest of the industry? Yeah, so for the past couple of years, we've seen some explosive growth within PC gaming. And when we mention PC gaming hardware, we're talking about GPUs that are a performance or premium standard within laptops. So we're not going to be casting a really broad net and saying any laptop that can play Solitaire, for example. But in in recent quarters, we've seen a slight slowdown. We're, We're seeing it becoming more of a saturated market. A lot of the big players have jumped on the bandwagon and really pushed push their models, but we're seeing a bit of saturation now. But nevertheless, we're definitely seeing some, some strong growth all the way through until 2023. Uh, do you think that consoles have actually affected the, the growth and strength of PCs? Because a lot of developers develop console-first games, and so that means that rather than people having to upgrade their PCs kind of relatively frequently like it used to be, um, because the games are developed for console uh, platforms and they go to PC sometimes afterwards, like Rockstar do, for example, with the GTA games, um, that means you don't necessarily have to have the, ne- the most powerful PC on the market anymore because you know, the games are kind of console first. Yeah, and I think this is quite a bigger question than that. And this the age-old debate of console versus PC gaming. Um, it's mm-hmm. been going on for decades. Uh, obviously, we're seeing a bit more of an expansion in console gaming. But I, I don't really think at this stage we're going to see a huge share steal from PC gaming. And there's definitely a few core advantages that console has over PC gaming. Uh, the first of which being the, the convenience. I mean, you don't need to be an expert to, to plug and play with a console. You can just plug it in, sit on the couch and play co-op with your friends, which is really attractive for the less informed consumer. But as you mentioned with the games... Of course, there are certain exclusives that do attract you towards a console. You know, you've got God of War on the, on the PS4. You've got, you know, Halo. It's a massive one on, on Xbox. And you mentioned the lack of needing to upgrade quite frequently, which is quite a, an ongoing issue with PCs. You want to have the latest GPU when the game comes out. And obviously, there's going to be a much lower upfront cost with a console. 
So they typically uh, retail for about £400 in, in the UK. I mean, that seems to be the standard. And, and one final thing to add is that although we are seeing a trend towards increasing graphics as much as possible, making you know, 4K, 8K and ray tracing, we're reaching the point now where we've kind of peaked in terms of the requirements of graphics for selling games. We're at a very high stage. So we're seeing games like Minecraft and Fortnite, for example, really booming, and they don't require the same level of graphical capabilities. That was one of the things that was announced at E3, actually, wasn't it? Minecraft, the, the dungeon crawler version of Minecraft, which uh, which looked pretty interesting. I, I mean, I've, I've been playing Minecraft since the alpha days, super early on, and um, that was actually the, probably the last game I played on PC, actually, um, because, of course, you can get it on PS4 and all the console platforms now. But, yeah, it's gone fully, um, fully cross-platform. It has. Uh, one final point that I think would be slightly different in in the PC versus console war in the next generation is that what we're seeing is in Project Scarlet announced at E3 they're purporting 8K graphics at 120 FPS which seems you know completely superfluous at the point now mm. given that TVs can't handle these kind of graphics I mean how many people have an 8K TV at home well, I mean, how many people have a 4K TV? I don't know. None of my friends, and I have a lot of kind of techie friends, none of them have 4K TVs, even now in 2019. And they're already you know, out there. You can go and get them. But the, the amount of content you can get in 4K is still not that much. So uh, Even films aren't pushing for 8K right now. No. But, but one thing we need to consider is that the average life cycle of a console is what, you know, five to six years. Mm. And what we're seeing this time around from this generation is future-proofing. So upon the launch of Xbox One and PS4, the tech specs were already quite substantially lower than the industry standard on the PC side. So by offering this 8K and this 120 FPS, it might not be useful now, but it's certainly making less requirements for upgrades in the future. So this is actually going to bring me on to one of my other questions, which um, is, is, is all about cloud gaming. So this is my question, right? So if you're Microsoft, you've just developed Project Scarlet, you've got this insanely powerful 8K box, 120 FPS, etc. But whereas other companies are completely going the other direction, they're going, we don't need this enormously powerful box sitting under your TV. Everything's going to get streamed now. It's game, you know, almost like games as a service. So do you think this is the future? Because we've got quite a few companies who are doing this now. And um, what do you think? Are we there yet? Yeah, so cloud gaming is definitely the hot topic of this for the last few months. I mean, it's, it's not a new concept. It's existed in the market for, for quite a while now. We've had platforms like NVIDIA, Blade. I mean, even PS Now has been offering a cloud streaming service, which allows you to play AAA games without having to download. Um, I, I do think that cloud gaming has legs. It has a future. But where we stand now, I still don't think we're going to see a big uptake in, in, the, in the near future. Obviously, one of the newest launches that wasn't at At3, they, they moved it a bit beforehand, was Google with Stadia. So that's kind of the opposite take as Microsoft. They're trying to move away from the high-powered uh, device in your own system and the higher tech specs requirements are moving them into, into the cloud. So it's essentially like renting a, a high-powered machine in the cloud. Mm. With cloud gaming, either with the, the Xbox xCloud solution or, or with Stadia's, one thing we have to consider is, of course, the latency. Now, with, from the initial trials, we've seen that there is slight input lag on, on the game trials. And, I mean, late latency is, is one thing for a single-player game. I mean, if you're just walking around an RPG and there's a slight input lag, but you're still able to experience the majesty of 4K 
on a, you know, a huge Skyrim setting, then I think you can get over the input lag. But once we move into the multiplayer arena, where you know, a fraction of a millisecond means life or death for your character, that's when you really can't afford to have any input lag, which is one reason where I really can't see the, this, the cloud taking off in the immediate future. No, so, I mean, you were mentioning to me earlier that you're a big fan of playing FIFA. And if you're playing FIFA online, but you're playing through the cloud and you get a little bit of input lag, that's a disaster, isn't it? It really is. It's the most rage-inducing thing when you're pressing shoot, 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 and it's just not going. And so this is this is why I'm interested in in cloud gaming because I've been following it closely, particularly with the announcement that Google recently gave of the list of games that are going to be on um, on Stadia. Want uh, some like Assassin's Creed and a few others. So you've got Stadia on one side, but the, of course on the other side you've also got uh, Microsoft's platform, which is supposed to streaming games. You're downloading them, so the business model is slightly different. Yes, so one thing that took me by surprise and a few other people from what I've read regarding the Stadia business model is that a lot of people expected it to be a bit like the Netflix for games where you pay a certain monthly fee and then you have access to a wide library of games to play. But what is actually the case is that once you've got the base model you then have access to what is essentially, as discussed, the the high-powered machine that you're renting in the cloud upon which you can then purchase games from their library. And as you mentioned, they've got quite a wide library But the question then turns to, who is their target audience? As one of our colleagues, Lewis Ward, mentioned, uh, the best way for for Google to stand out at this stage is to have an exclusive title, because as it stands now, there is no discernible reason for a consumer to want to purchase a game that they could purchase on a console or on a notebook on on the cloud if it's going to have the added input of latency issues. It comes down to, will it be an addition an additional console, or will it be standalone? Is, is Google targeting this more towards the, the gaming curious consumer, mm. the person who must have extremely high uh, speed broadband, but also does not own a gaming capable laptop or console? One thing that this discussion has really thrown up is just how fragmented the gaming industry is, right? So you've got cloud gaming, you've got downloadable gaming, you've got the old school boxes underneath your TV, you've got something like the Switch, which is a bit of a hybrid model, handheld, you've got mobile. Um, Do you think this is a threat to PC gaming in particular, the level of fragmentation that you have? So we've covered the pros of console gaming. It'll, it'll be good to give a perspective on, on just why they're not particularly strong threats against the, the overall life of PC gaming. Mm-hmm. So a couple of things to look at in terms of the pros of PC gaming that really keep its strong foothold among the hardcore gamers. We begin with, of course, graphical capabilities, although we've already discussed that Microsoft with Project Scarlet are announcing some, some really high, some high-powered um, configurations. Even so it's always going to be the case that the front runners are going to be on the PC. One aspect that is really driving the games market is the boom of esports. And if we look at some of the prize pools of the top four games that are currently being played at a competitive level, so we're looking at uh, Dota, I think is number one, there's League of Legends, there's CSGO, all of these games are necessarily played on PC only. And there's a couple of reasons for that. I mean, with MOBAs, uh, multiplayer online battle arenas such as League of Legends or Dota, the complexity of each character that you control can't really translate onto a controller. There's two, you need the, the mouse and the keyboard capabilities in order to fully control this character. So we've got a whole new wave of consumers whose first introduction to the gaming market is through esports. And of course, they're going to want to emulate their heroes and play the games that they watch so much of, leading them down the path that only leads towards PC in certain instances. Beyond that... 
uh, we discussed some games such as Skyrim before. One of the key tenets of PC gaming is the ability to mod your games. And that's, you know, I'm sure you must have experienced some mods yourself. Yes, absolutely. With Skyrim, there's, there's like um, resolution mods. You know, when you get a more powerful PC, you can up the resolution of the textures, that kind of thing, to make it look a little bit prettier. Or there's the the classic dragon mod that, that that triples the number of dragons in the game, which makes it a lot more entertaining. Or there's ones that replace the dragons with Thomas the Tank Engine, that kind of thing. But that's a little bit more niche, I think. It is, but I think wacky additions to games that are pretty much limitless, given that that the power lies in in the player just gives certain games endless replayability. And I remember that when they released the like, Definitive Edition to stick with Skyrim for a second because it's such a ubiquitous title that's across almost every single platform, uh, they did release um, the kind of you know um, next generation edition that had console mods. And it was a little, you could see it was a little attempt that Bethesda was making there to say, oh, will this work if we start allowing certain mods that were created in the PC market to work in console? But that hasn't really been picked up. Like, no other title has tried, kind of tried doing that. I think Fallout 4 did that as well, but that's Bethesda too, so I'm not sure if anybody else has really tried that. But you're absolutely right, like, um, the, the sheer amount of mods you can get on the PC, you know, that it kind of gives you endless replayability, right? Yeah, you're exactly right. And this comes down to one more of the cost comparisons we've made as well. So even though the the console upfront cost is, of course, cheaper than a, you know, a heavy-duty PC gaming rig, when we look at the gaming prices, I mean, on average, you're going to see a £60 PS4 game going for about £40 on Steam. Mm. And then we also have just the endless replayability if you can customise this game way more than you can on traditional consoles. Okay, so that kind of covers the console part of things and not necessarily being a threat against the PC, but what about the mobile gaming industry? I mean, that's really growing as well, isn't it? Yeah, mobile gaming is definitely exploding as well. In fact, we did a, a, a survey and in 2018, 40% of 4.1 billion smartphones were used to game, which equates to roughly 1.9 billion devices, which is only going to go up. Uh, the, the top apps that were some of the top grossing apps that we see on, on the app stores are actually hardcore uh, focused and multiplayer leaning games, so such as you know, PUBG, Fortnite, as well as some mobile only exclusives. But this obviously does offer some kind of threat towards the PC market. So when we're looking at phones that cost upwards of 800 to 1,000 pounds, and consumer budgets that are becoming increasingly strained, this does lead to the question of whether they're going to choose their primary gaming device. But that said, this falls down to some of the similar criticisms of the console versus PC gaming argument, which are, they are of course, lower specs in, in a mobile gaming, which can't provide the same experience that a console can. When we're looking at AAA titles, it's quite consistent that a mobile gaming device is a secondary gaming device. There aren't too many consumers out there that are purchasing a AAA game primarily for their, for their mobile phone. It's more of a, I'm really enjoying this game at home, how can I play it when I'm on the go? Well, thank you all very much for listening and I'm afraid I'm going to have to tear myself away from this discussion because we could take if you'd like to ask us any questions about the gaming industry, please don't hesitate to get in touch. Any excuse to chat gaming is a good excuse in my book. Uh, check us out on YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter, under IDC Amir, and get involved with the discussion. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And of course, please don't forget to subscribe as well. You can follow us on SoundCloud, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you all very much, and see you next time. Thank you. Bye.